There's no music if you have no body to play it with, so take care of your body first. You getting into the gym and you lifting weights and working on muscles, is it's physical therapy for the benefit of your playing. The truth is nothing works like just taking care of the simple stuff. Diet, exercise and sleep. Take care of that and you'll be fine. Join us as two musicians and fitness coaches discuss strength, wellness and fitness in relation to musicians, artists and performance. Welcome back to the Tuned and Strong podcast, and I am your host, Angela McHuston of Music Strong, joined by my co-host. I am Dr. Jen Cabasme of Tuned and Tone Performance. And today we have a special guest. His name is Mark Wallace, and uh, I actually went to school with Mark back eons ago. Mark, how are you? Introduce yourself. I'm doing well. I was thinking about that too, Angela. I was... Uh... It was one of those moments where I had to put my birth year, like, uh, I don't know, it was registering for a new, like, uh, cell phone or something. And I got my feelings hurt when I had to keep scrolling on my iPad to find my birth year. So, yeah, it's been a minute since we... The struggle is real. (laughs) (laughs) My my birthday was last Thursday, and uh, I hit 40 last year. This year, it was not a big deal. This year, I'm like, oh, I'm one over. Mm, I don't know how this one sits. (laughs) Uh, you were the class right before me. So when I hit 39 in May, I was like, oh my gosh, I saw the list with like at least 15 things I need. <laughs> we're running out of time. I got 363 days left to make it happen. Yep. Yep. All good. All good. Don't worry about it. It's the number. So um, Mark and I were both flute players at Tennessee Tech where we got our uh, bachelor's degrees. And um, I don't know how, to, how we want to start this conversation, but like, you, how long have you been playing flute? Like, tell us, can you tell us your story on, on your musical story? Yeah, um, I actually started on the tenor saxophone. So uh, part of this, I was thinking about this story and I was like, man, these, the, uh, the, the personality traits that lead to the topic that we're going to talk about today have been there since day one. Like, if only I had known, but uh, when I went to the music store, to order my shiny new instrument in sixth grade, uh, my band director did that thing where you have to go around, you know, buzz the mouthpiece, you know, stick a stick a reeded instrument in your mouth. And uh, she was an oboe player and everybody had to give a crank on the old oboe and the bassoon. <clears throat> but somehow uh, my perfect fit was the baritone. So I actually, uh, my mom and I went to the store and we were there to go buy a baritone. And we told the guy, and it was like the weekend before, Labor Day, and he's like, oh man, you know, I can't remember the last time a kid bought a baritone. We don't have one here. You'll have to wait till Tuesday after Labor Day. And I was like, what? Like, I want my Oompa Loompa now, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, I told my mom, I was like, oh, mom, I forgot to tell you. Oh, she also said I could play the saxophone. Yeah, that's right. And I never sure. unknown into a sax ever in my life. And, uh, and I said that because a kid before me got a saxophone in line and there's like a stack of saxophones. And the guy was like, you sure? And I was like, oh yeah, and it's this one. And I pointed, it was a tenor sax. I didn't know what that was. And he's like, okay, I can't remember the last time we sold a sixth grader a tenor sax. So we fill out, <laughs> we get to the end and he goes, and oh, by the way, we don't have one here. You'll have to wait till Tuesday. So Ouch. I had to wait, uh, but the, uh, that's what got me into, uh, into woodwind. Um, and I gotta tell you, saxophone took off. I mean, it was like a fish in water. I couldn't get enough. I mm-hmm. couldn't practicing I gobbled up you know the little essential elements book immediately it just made sense sound made sense technique made sense 
Um, my seventh grade year, so the second year I played, um, you know, because in Tennessee, but I got first chair, first band. I beat all the ninth graders on the saxophone and I did it again nice. in eighth grade. And so now you have a reputation. <clears throat> but what's interesting in, in eighth grade, I remember they were like, and Mark got, you know, first on the saxophone again. But I remember my band director said something that made me go, wait a minute. Because uh, this other kid, uh, a dude who played the flute in the band, he got, you know, like the third band or something. And she mm. made and, and, you know, this guy, you know, got, I don't know, 20th out of 500 people. And I remember being like, hey, wait a minute. Uh -huh. you know, did that mean more? And uh, I'll be honest, my sense of competition is very, very high. And no. <laughs> myself, you know, okay, I gotta, like, I'm, I'm gonna play the flute one day. I had never played one before. And uh, the summer between eighth grade and ninth grade, I actually got gifted one randomly. Um, nice. I'm a family member and it was July right before uh, my ninth grade year. And I was like, this is it. Like, I'm going to learn this thing. And the fingerings are the same. And it, again, it was like a fish to water. The sound was immediate. I had my technique transferred seamlessly. And mm -hmm. so uh, I started officially playing the flute in August. And then that December, so I'd only been playing for four months, I got first band and I beat all, you know, and it was like, ah. and so now I had a reputation and an ego to go with it. So anyone who knew me, especially that knows, like I was, I was president of my fan club for sure. <laughs> so wait, Mark, were we were in, in Mid-State together? We were later. Uh, were we? Yeah, because when I was in ninth, you were in 10th. So you would have been. Oh, in okay. Um, and you would have, you, yeah, you were in it. When you were in ninth grade, I was in the saxophone section because I was in eighth grade. There it is. Okay. What happened next? And this is when my relationship, my tumultuous relationship with the flute, um, unfortunately, started almost from the get-go. So I played for four or five months um, with really no lessons, no nothing, uh, just you know, raw skills. <clears throat> but then I got turned on to my first private teacher. I'd never taken a lesson on any instruments. I didn't know what lessons were. And I remember um, before lessons, there was a group of 10 or 15 of us in town that took from this teacher and she's great. And I wanna make sure before we go down this path that um, I hold no one responsible for uh, you know, what, my story and what we're talking today, but we were in a flute, a flute choir semicircle <clears throat> and I never really hung out with flute players before, you know, this is exciting. And I remember everyone was playing and I remember she kept looking at me um, and in front of everyone, and this is the first time I'd ever heard her, she went, I don't know how you sound like that. Your amateur looks so weird. And I remember being like, one, I don't like the way that just made me feel in front of everybody. And then everyone started looking at me like, yeah, it is off center and his bottom lip does a thing. And, and I remember like, it was weird anyway. Um, and so in my very first lesson, which was right after flute choir, she said to me, she's like, man, you know, you have a really good sound, but I just, your amateur just looks so funny. You should, you know what we should work on. We then need to work on amateur. We got to get that thing looking right. <clears throat> and she handed me a stack of flute talk magazines. And, um, and she, and, and, cause again, I have no, I'm four months into the instrument. I'm catching up fast. And, um, oh, and also my first flute lesson, she hands me the, the French, uh, the flute music by French composers. So there was no, there was first no, lesson? yeah, my first lesson. And so I, I, I got that book, which ironically is on my stand today because, <laughs> but, um, uh, so I got that book and I got flute talk and she's like, you know, I want you to practice in front of the mirror. And up until this point, flute was just knack. It was like, you breathe in, you breathe, breathe out, you play. 
But that's when the hyperfixation started. And mm. I hyperfixated on how things look to the point where um, it, it was getting in the way of everything. Uh, with probably four or five weeks of taking lessons, I looked fantastic. I could have been on the cover uh, uh, of showing off a, a perfect aperture, but my I'd lost my sound. It became work. Um, and I started getting feedback I'd never gotten before as a young musician, um, you know, cracking a note in a solo and my band director, you know, what was that? Like Mark doesn't crack notes. And, and so that, you know, there's a level of shame uh, you know, that comes with that. <clears throat> I remember in that same flute choir, we were going down the road tuning and I went to tune and like my, my middle A came out as like a low A and then it was really out of tune. And just, I remember, I remember it. I mean, that was what, 25 years ago. I remember turning red. I remember the feeling because it was one, I made a mistake, but two, because I had a reputation as the guy who got really good really fast and I have to protect it. Um, and so, so anyway, this, this kept going, this kept going, et cetera, et cetera, till the next year. So now I'm a 10th grader and I have all this pressure and I didn't even get past the first sight reading piece. I did, not only did I not make it, uh, like they basically were like, please leave immediately. It was terrible. I think oh. I got 190th out of three. Like it was terrible. There's so many flute players, so many. What year was this? Your 10th grade year? Your ninth that was 10th grade. And like, that was, that was, and I mean, you're like, Mark, come on, dude, you gotta let, you gotta let high school go. But the, the point of this is I wanna tell you that, that there is a history of these moments of, of just uh, psychological, I mean, just psychological moments that have really burned themselves in. And so I, we're beating around the book to just say it. So everyone should know that now, um, you know, I have embouchure focal dystonia. Mm -hmm. That's actually the first time I've ever said it verbally uh, to a group. I've typed it. Uh, in fact, the first time I even uh, had the courage to type it was last April or May, but it's been um, kind of my secret uh, diagnosis for a long, a long time. Um, what ended up happening, flat, fast, uh, fast forward, I got a teacher who, uh, who invested a lot of time in me, uh, Dr. Roger Martin at Tennessee Tech, and he, um, he took me under his wing, uh, really my junior year of high school, and we did phone uh, lessons. I called him at his house every single day and he answered every day i'm telling you like a old school and it was long distance from my hometown uh but every day i would play over the phone and it was all based off that sounds good oh that sounded try to sound like this and it totally he changed my world where i wasn't obsessed with look anymore and so i got confident and i was like the world everything was great again until um gosh, probably my senior year of college. Or no, things started getting weird um, my sophomore year of college. Uh, sophomore year, I remember. I was in lessons and like, it just, I don't know how to say it. I even wrote it down other than it just felt weird. It's mm -hmm. the, it felt weird. Like I was playing and it, it was almost, uh, it, when I say weird, almost like if a uh, sensation, like if someone like brushed your cheek, like so slightly and you're like, what was that? Like, and so it started as that, but then it started manifesting as the feeling weird started showing up in my sound. And so, uh, like I wouldn't be in focus or, uh, my, my intonation between registers is where it first starts showing up. And then 
my register would lose resonance all of a sudden. I have to, my warm-ups would start to take an, an hour just to get my sound. And how it started to really feel is the best way I could describe it is um, in my top lip, it felt like if it was one of those blinds that you can pull down and release that goes up, it felt like it was pulled down and it kind of unwound. Like it was, there was no, the muscle wasn't cranking back up. And that's how it felt. Now, if you were to look at me, it looked totally fine. Um, so I dealt with that for uh, a solid year and um, kind of my mechanisms to get around it where I was constantly reinventing my embouchure. I remember one time we had a, a studio flute recital <clears throat> and I was like, I have to play tonight and I better come up with something quick. And I came up with some way to play where I was using my tongue against my bottom lip. And I was like, this will get me through tonight. I'll figure up a new way tomorrow. But there was no consistency day to day. And um, I wrote down, just if you all could be here, I wrote down all of these notes. And if anyone were to find any one of these pages, because they don't go in order, it looks like the ramblings of a madman or like a really weird grocery list. But um, I wrote down some of the uh, coping mechanisms and some of the, the crafty little tricks because if, if anything out of this conversation, um, I, one, want to dispel some myths uh, about what focal dystonia is. I also want to introduce it because I think a lot of people don't know anything about it or it's kind of like Candyman. If you say it three times, you know, the monster's going to show up and yeah. more than well, anything. Just... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> more than anything, I, I, if this can change one teacher's approach to how they teach, especially young people, um, then that to me, then my whole, all of this will have been worth it for me. Um, but here's kind of a list of the patterns um, that I reflect on that I was doing that maybe if you're a teacher and you've got a student that's doing some of these things, you might want to dig in a little bit. So one of them was, and I can't believe uh, my teachers and even Dr. Wright, even you, Angela, and flute choir didn't pick up on this and symphony band and all of this, the anxiety to tune in front of a group. If, you've, if you were to wind back the clock, I always had to use the bathroom. I was never in the room when we tuned because I refused. Still to this day, there's a, you know, I have to breathe 50 times because I still remember that moment. Like my body got trapped, my brain, my nervous system, whatever got trapped. Um, so that's something too. The fear of practicing and being heard. I remember sitting in practice rooms and just, practicing at 2 a.m., just anything for no one else to hear me, uh, because that would, because there's a level of vulnerability, they're going to be judging me. There was, I was only performing. Practice rooms felt like a performance. Uh, if you've got a student that maybe has some practice room anxiety, you might want to lean into that a little bit. Um, I was using, um, I wrote this down as uh, derailing lessons with conversation to play out the clock, so I wouldn't actually have to play. Uh, I'm, I'm a charming guy and I can get any teacher to talk about anything to keep me from playing a lesson. And I probably got away with that for a solid semester in college before finally, uh, my teacher, and this is after I transferred was like, why aren't you playing? Um, and we kind of got to that place, um, constant reinvention gimmicks. If every week it's a you know, embouchure of the week, I just, that's not normal behavior. And, um, if you have people that are, you know, 
expressing themselves with some of these things, I think you probably should have a, a deeper conversation with them. But um, so I, I was having all, you know, these weird isms and I started to notice a pattern that it was mostly in the lead up to an important performance or a recital or a competition. And the big, big one happened when I was preparing for the NFA Young Artist Competition. Because I mean, I had at this point a solid 10 months of awesome. I mean, things were just going awesome. I really, I was like, I'm gonna get in to the semifinal round. Like I know it, I know it. And then probably three, four weeks before my boogeyman came back, all of the little isms from from high school started happening again, the feeling of, of the, uh, the blinds. Um, and then it started manifesting as trembling. So my bottom lip would start trembling and you know the note was shaking. Um, so I asked my teacher at the time who that, the response there was you're just not practicing enough. You know, you like there's something deficient in your practice. So um, I actually ended up telling my family doctor who referred me to a neurologist who's like, have you ever heard a focal dystonia. And I was like, what, you know, and they told me and um, it's seared in my brain where they're like, I hate to tell you this, but there is no cure for that. You're never gonna be able to play. And I'll be honest, um, at this point after, after fight, I mean, I was fighting the flute for years at this point. I think there's a part of me that that was relieved. relieved. And, and I'll be honest, because it, it finally, it was like someone saying, it's not your fault. There's nothing you can do about it. So you might as well just quit. And it was devastating. It was literally like, like who I was, who I really was, was dying. Um, and you, you have to kind of bury a whole, a whole life of dreams that you had built for yourself. But I was devastated, but appreciative because you wrap so much of your identity um, into it. I was practicing so hard mm -hmm. hours at a time on long tones to just work my way through it. And it was, it was like the more I played, the worse it would get. Um, so I ended up packing up my flute, I actually sold it. And I didn't play a single note from 2009, until February of last year. Um, and that's when the pandemic happened. And now I'm at home every day. I'm working from uh, my home office and I don't have all the work distractions that I did. And my youngest daughter started band and wanted to play the flute. And um, when my wife, who I met in band in seventh grade, plays clarinet, when she's like, yeah, dad plays the flute. And when my own kid said, I didn't know that, I, uh, I can't even believe that. Like, you don't even know me. Uh, and so anyway, I was like, nonsense. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna figure this thing out. I'll let me tinker. Then I had my old, like my original flute and I, you know, dusted it off. And I, and I had a pretty good go at it. <clears throat> and um, one of the cool things about the pandemic was so many really high level professional players and teachers were digitally accessible. Uh, and I had some lessons with some folks that I never would have had the opportunity to have lessons with them. And, um, and dystonia has come a long way since I was diagnosed. Um, and it's not anymore, you'll never play again. It's, there's a whole rehabilitation mindset now. And uh, it's so cool now a year, what a year and five months later. And I have, 
I have YouTube videos of me playing now. I have acapellas of me playing. I'm in two bands and the flute choir here near my house. I've started a solo group uh, um, in, with partnership of a good flute friend of mine. Um, and, and there is life after diagnosis. Um, it's a challenge. There's days that are up, there's days that are down, and I'm sure we'll go through it now. I'm, I'm monologuing for far too long, but um, no. that's kind of my story. Uh, and we'll fill in we'll fill in the gaps as we go along, I think. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing this. Thank you so much for sharing this because um, when I was doing my research um, and when I was looking up, I mean, I, I started getting hurt in like 2003 or four. Um, and between then and when I started doing my doctoral research, most of what I found was dystonia is a death sentence. Yeah, You know, there's no cure, there's no cure, there's no cure. And it wasn't until I went to interview, um, and this may be actually particularly salient to you, Mark. Um, do you know Andre Martin at, I, in Columbus, Georgia? In Columbus, Georgia? In Columbus, oh, Georgia. Oh, no, I'm in Columbus, Ohio. Okay, other Columbus. <laughs> she, first off, she's a wonderful person. Like, <laughs> wonderful, super kind, um, agreed to let me interview her for my uh, treatise. But she had dystonia huh. and that was a death sentence. And it wasn't until she uh, found body mapping that she realized it was a full body issue. It was a, a tension issue, an anxiety. Mm, I, I don't want to put that word in her mouth. Um, she did it's not say a, anxiety, a but... huge psychological factor. Yes. And it wasn't until she started doing that that she's like, oh, I can I can take a gig and know that I'm going to be able to perform that day. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I, yeah, I am a huge fan of bringing awareness to recovery and success with dystonia. Amen. Um, so it, many years of that. <laughs> no, and, and I'll be honest, when um, it's so fascinating, because as I've done kind of, uh, it, it, I feel like those ancestor, uh, ancestry shows, like tracing your DNA, I was tracing back my flute DNA <clears throat> and I've, I've had a couple of conversations. I won't call them interviews with my original teacher, but I've, I've followed back up because I love these people. And, and, and every one of them was exactly what I needed at that time. Um, and I wouldn't take any of it back. But one of the things that's very fascinating about that very first teacher is I also remember she never played in any of my lessons. And um, I asked, I mean, this was, I'm, I got goosebumps. This was last May. And I was like, hey, just so you know, this is my situation. And she got quiet and she goes, I'm so sorry to hear that. Mark, you know, I have Amishur vocal dystonia. And I mean, it was just one of those just eerie silent. And it, it just makes me wonder, you know, um, was that hyperfixation on how I looked pr to protect me from it happening to me? I don't know. I don't know. But in my head, it, it all came from a good place. Um, one thing I would say to teachers, you said this when you talked about body mapping and, and, and whole body planning is, I realize now looking back that my whole concept of sound and what the flute was, was all about this. And some of the things that have gotten me out of my situation have been to literally think of my body as an air tube. Uh, and I have a whole list right here of all the descriptors that I write down um, 
to get me out of it because dystonia doesn't go away. So it's all, your brain is always there. Uh, and kind of my layman's way of describing what it is, is your body writes a code, uh, like a computer code uh, to tell different parts of your body what to do. And, it, and you know, different nerves, you know, there's single points that make things happen in any way, instead of, instead of, you know, your, your brain seeing these as four separate fingers, it might remap them so that they become one big finger blob. Mm -hmm. and, so, and every part of you is like, I want to move my ring finger, but your brain's like, here we go. Boink. Mm -hmm. And so the two parts of the body that receive the most sensory are your hands and your face. Uh, and so what's really fascinating about dystonia is it's most prevalent in uh, instrumentalists who have high demand uh, for those two things. So uh, it's typically the, if it happens in your hand, it's because you play an instrument that noodles a lot. So it's high winds, uh, flute, clarinet, uh, rampant, violin, piano, um, all of those. From an embouchure dystonia perspective, it tends to be the instruments that have the most focus. So it's high brass, trumpets, French horns, flute. Um, there's some clarinet that get it. Um, it's just very fascinating. Focal dystonia, I want to say, uh, impacts 43 to 100 and something out of every million regular people in public, but it impacts from what we know, one in a hundred musicians. Uh, so it, it uh, and it over indexes to males as well. There's absolutely a pattern of OCD, high anxiety, those hyperfixation traits, you know, predispose people to you, to it. And I just think it's important for people to know that when you when you, there's like, there's some of us that if you say, don't move on until you get a perfect B, there are some people that will literally do that. And so I would say, be careful when you prescribe those things to your students. If you write out, um, you know, little noodly exercises, like we're going to work on the foot joint today and we're just going to roll back and forth. There are people who will literally only do that. And that's where dystonia comes from. And so teacher, I would add it to your arsenal on how to define, you know, the boundaries of productive practice. If I could go back in time, um, stop when it hurts, um, uh, stop every 10 minutes, you would never do push-ups for five hours. When your body starts to tremble, you'd go, I'm done. You know, I'm going to rest and relax um, and don't try to push through it because it never, it never wins in the end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Angela, oh I can't God. hear you. There you, you are. Me? Okay, there you that's because I wasn't talking. Okay. <laughs> I just, well, I saw your mouth moving. I was like, what? <laughs> no, there are no words, no words. I mean, there's just so, so much good there. And you know, I didn't know those statistics. I think this is going to be very comforting for a lot of people because- And, and Angela, that one in a hundred, that's people who fess up. There are, a yes. oh my gosh, if, if I could show you the private messages I get, like I, I can never tell it. My orchestra can never know. Mm -hmm. my fourth finger uh i'm the piccolo player in a very uh, uh well-known orchestra they can never know but i i get botox uh you know uh this often whatever there is a there's a stigma and i just think people need to know that you know come on there's a community of us that can learn from each other you know there is hope yeah absolutely yeah. and we talk about this frequently with this, the stigma about musicians injuries and this is another musician injury it's just a different type of injury but it's you are not less than you are not less of a person your ability you're you are not less of a musician because you have an injury 
whether that's a that's dystonia or psychological or a brain injury or an overuse injury or or you broke a finger they're all it's just you know we have bodies and they are they're breakable that doesn't make you less of a person you can't be expected to be bulletproof as a musician but we are brought to that we are taught that standard by a lot of well-meaning people but it's just this it's this message that has been preached through the generations, it's just oh, got sure. to stop. It's for just sure. got to stop. And if you even think about, uh, you know, now probably less than because people have more access to professional players that can hear the cracked note and they can hear the, ah, oh, dang, let me try it again. But yeah, perfect recordings that had been highly digitally remastered and there was probably a thousand takes that got there. And that was, you know, that was the reality that I created for myself, like the rural Tennessee, you know, the, the flute was James Galway, you know, and all of the, and all of the perfect, um, and and for, for me, it created an unrealistic ex- expectation on myself, um, for sure. The thing, the things that have helped pull me out of it, um, and what's really fascinating is everything I'm going to share with you. I've stumbled upon kind of on my own, and now that I'm connecting more with people who are dystonia experts and gurus, they're like, "Oh my gosh, you know, that's that's body mapping. You just didn't know it, or that's actually part of Alexander technique." I had a, a probably my second week last uh, last year. I opened my case. It was so fascinating. Ten years have gone by, and all the ticks and stops were back. I mean, it was like no time had passed, and it literally like the boogeyman's back. And um, I hope she doesn't mind because I brag about her all the time. But I had a um, you know, pandemic has just started. People are starting to record themselves, and Nicole uh, Esposito had kind of set herself apart from everybody else because she was doing those absolutely fantastic acapella. I mean, those were performances. They were fantastic. And I remember being mesmerized, like, you seem really cool. Um, uh, some of her teaching philosophies, I was like, you know, she sounds quirky. Like, I, I want to I talk to this gal. And so we had a lesson and I told her, you know, here's my scoop. Fogosonia, I'm basically ruined. You know, if this, if we need to finish this in five minutes and she was super honest, she goes, I don't have experience specifically with that. Uh, but let me, let me see, like go. And, you know, she pulled her glasses down. She's staring. And I, I put my flute up to my face. And what I thought was I took a breath in and I blew. And she literally ripped her glasses off and went, why did you do all of those things? And in a, in a really kind, like humorous way. And I was like, what do you mean? Like I played a fraction of a note. And she's like, do you know that you probably did 15 different things with your face before you, you blew? And I was like, no, I didn't. She's like, oh, you probably licked your lips 30 times. Mm-hmm. this you like you like was cracking my jaw like all of this stuff and she goes and what's really fascinating is before you blew you stuck your tongue on your bottom lip like push it forward and retracted it real fast she goes why did you do that and I was like I absolutely didn't do that so I actually recorded it and watched it really quick and sure enough I was like what is what is all of that inefficiency that I'd built in and so she goes so we're going to do a trick um, I have no idea if this is going to work, but we're just going to, we're going to see if we can trick your body into playing the flute. And she's like, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just say, tico, taco, tico, taco. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is nuts. So it's like, tico, taco, tico, taco. She goes, while you do that, I want you to just bop the flute on your, on your lip. Really light. Just tico, taco, tico, taco, tico, taco, tico, taco. And she goes, whenever you're ready, blow. And I was like, okay, tico, taco, tico, taco, tico, taco. And it was the Angela. It was the most perfect. It was the best C in the staff ever. Like in all of flute, not even just for me, 
letting you all know on that day at that time, the best C, the most resonant, focused, perfect sound. And I just immediately was like, I can't even believe that came out of my body. Can I try again? And so I did it again. It was great. And then her feedback was now try it. Once you get that, see what you can do. And it, it, I could play every single note on the flute. I'm not kidding. Like this isn't a romanticized version. This isn't, I'll mark, it took a week. In that moment from that, I just needed what now I call leverage. I just needed a solid starting point. And then my body knew everything to do. And it was probably, it was Narnia for three weeks. And I mean, it was the most amazing thing. I, I remember running upstairs and like performing for my family, like, listen to this. Oh my gosh. And all the technique was still there. And it was, it, it was the best I'd ever played ever. And then I, you know, in typical Mark fashion, I'm cured. I need to go and I need to perform now. It's been three weeks. I'm ready for a master class. <laughs> oh my gosh. And it, it couldn't have crashed faster. I mean, the second I signed up for, to perform in this master class, it started becoming work again. And I remember I was like, what? I'm doing all the things. Tika taco, tika taco, take a breath, blow. And this weird thing, it's the same pattern. It felt weird. And then my lip and, and so in a total crash. And so I literally had to start over again. Um, I did the masterclass. It was in my uh, mind, it was terrible, but you know, I got okay feedback, but once that was over, it all came back again. And so the pattern for me is uh, it's a sense of expectation triggers everything. It's the anxiety, even though I can say all day long, I'm not anxious. I feel confident. My body goes to literal fight or flight mode. And the best way for me to describe it would be imagine if uh, how you would react if you put your hand into, I don't know, a bucket of snakes, your body would recoil. You wouldn't think about it, it would just do it. And every time I, when it counts, my face is reacting. It's the bucket of snakes, even though it's like two me's there's the present me. And then there's this deep psychological me and they are absolutely, they're, they're sending two sets of signals to um, uh, my nervous, I don't, I don't know. That's where we need a real expert on here. But all I know is it's very, very real. What gets me to leap out of bed, and I think what propels me through those times, because with dystonia, it's two steps forward, one step back. And those step back, especially now that I really feel like I've got something amazing to hang on to. Before, I always felt like I was chasing a sound that I hadn't achieved yet. Now it, I'm defending it, you know, cause I have a new reality that I'm like, that's my sound and it's, I have to have that and nothing else. But um, you go, you go into it with that mindset. Um, and what's, what's fascinating, or I guess the romance of this is um, I, I've written every feeling I felt when I'm at my very best, my air feels like this. It's not about my face, it's about my air and how it's bumping around in my mouth. And the best, I've learned so many neat things about the flute that I, I didn't know before or that were mistaught to me or I misperceived it. So for example, for me to get the, to get the, the, the most focused, most resonant, most knock them all dead sound requires the least amount of air possible. It literally feels like if I was blowing against the butterfly's wings, it's that slow. It's 
but it's really hot. And so probably that's just me saying I'm opening my throat and I'm relaxing my face, but, but that, that tactical description messes me up. I need that romantic language. I need to hear about my air. And, and, and when there's turbulence in my air, if I feel like it's hitting something like ricocheting, then that's when the ghost tone uh, uh, comes into the sound. And, and so many people have it, but it, 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 you can get rid of that. And, and it's actually the opposite of what I used to think. It's actually slow the air down, widen the air. Uh, but, but all of those little, those descriptions pull me out of the physical uh, being. Also, probably uh, what's helped stimulate my mind in a different way is, is watching the guy in the mirror play the flute. And so um, that works really well for me. And I think it's because I'm, I'm getting visual stimuli and not, it's almost like I forget to feel. And, and when I play my very best, and I wish I had something more complicated to share with you, it literally just feels like I open my mouth, like, like if you fell asleep on the airplane and you open, it just drops open. There's no, there's nothing but gravity. I literally just put that thing right on there. I literally take a breath and I literally just feel like I'm going, and I don't know how it works, but that's how I play the flute. If I, if I try to play the flute, if I try to form an embouchure, I'm absolutely tanked. Hardest part, and this is where I would, I want to be really real, because um, I would probably say I average three excellent weeks, a week of I can tell something's about to happen, and then there's just two weeks of absolute hell. Um, and it's, it's when I, when I start thinking too much, I actually wish I knew less. Um, and so that right now is where I would say that's where I'm at right now. Another pattern I picked up on, I swear I'm going to stop talking in a second. Another pattern I picked up on is if I, if I skip two or three days and just pick it right back up, flawless. And learning is it means I have, I don't have a, a deep somatic memory that my body can, can kind of regenerate, kind of refresh itself to play, which is great. Uh, but what I'm working on currently is I'm working on, that's not sustainable. Like I don't want to take three days off to play great again. So I'm kind of, I'd hate to say the word force, but I'm, I am making myself play every day, even if, even if it's a hell day, even if it's just 10 minutes, um, then I'm doing it. Another thing too, is I'm redefining what what all uh, uh, constitutes as practice. Yes, I wish every practice was a performance. Oh, that would be great, right? I wish every practice was you can really easily measure. I started here and I ended there and tomorrow I'll be even better. But sometimes now practice for me is just holding it on my mouth and breathing in and out because I'm realizing my tongue is tense or my back is tense. And it's all like, where did it come from? And, and it's all making up. It's kind of like when you hurt your leg and you walk with a limp and it's your body making up. Remembers you, the limp. Absolutely. So because there's no physical limp, the body is like contorting and it's, and, and some days I'm like, I breathed exceptionally for 10 minutes. What a great day. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. I'll stop to turn it over to you. Well, I've got a, I've got a thought. What I, what I hear overarching in this is that a couple of things. One is that you're really experiencing undoing. Oh, for but sure. it's not you're working at undoing. It's you're experiencing it. It's yes. like 
which leads into the second point where it's like, you know, when you're playing really well, it's, it's not a game, but it's a, it, there's a sense of curiosity and e- exploration instead of yes. expectation. Yes. You know, there's a, there's a teacher I have. Um, I had a teacher for about five seconds who was my Spanish teacher. And my, my band director was like, I don't have a teacher for, uh, she used to play flute. So she's like, oh, sure. I'll teach her. <laughs> so I had a teacher for like, I don't know, a few months. She was my Spanish teacher and she wasn't a bad teacher at all. But one of the cool things she said was surprise yourself, play this, but don't expect it. See if you can trick yourself into like not knowing when you're going to play a sound or whatever. And I was like, yeah, Ooh, I can, you know? And so I even teach that to my students today and they're like, what? Like, I try it. And they always go, Oh, I can do it. You know? Yeah. It's that, it's that, it's that more of that experience of, what can I, what can I do? I don't know. What's a, I've got a student right now that with what you're saying yeah. makes me a little nervous for her because she's got that perfectionist mindset so much that she's like, yeah. if it does, she always apologizes. If, it, if it's not exactly right, immediately she apologizes. And it's like, you have nothing to apologize for. In fact, I want you to make really ugly sounds. And she's like, yeah. no, you know, just like cringe I'm like, watch, I'll go first. That, you know, <laughs> it makes some really yeah. ugly noises. But it's, and it's really, I've gotten her to be able to do it like one out of 10. And she's cool. like, oh, it's so bad. I'm like, yeah, it is, right? Let's make it real gross. And just being able to accept that all sounds, you can make all kinds of sounds. And that's yeah. how we widen your toolbox. And it's not this one narrow way of you have to play this yeah. way. It has to be yeah. this sound. What's so cool about that um, is somebody said it last year in the string of all those uh, online performances. They were talking about practicing. Oh, and I thought it was so fantastic. I hope this doesn't go away post-pandemic. Are high-end players live live streaming their practice? I I don't know. Maybe I'm a horrible person, but I enjoy watching girls <laughs> mess up. Only because I like to see how they handle it. And one of them said the most interesting thing, and they were like, man, my sound, I do not like the way that sounds, but what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to stop. I'm going to explore the bad. And so they got in there and they're, and, and it was neat. They're like, how do I make that airy off focus, you know, whatever. And they just (laughs) were learning from it and they weren't ashamed and they were live streaming it. So, you know, in my head, a million people and man, if I could go back and talk to little me, and say that kind of stuff will actually make you a really great teacher one day when you well, can yeah. the mechanics of bad. And, mm-hmm. and that student that cracks the note the first time can laugh and go, oh my gosh, that's so funny because I cracked down. I just have to crank my air up just a little bit, you know, whatever it is. Um, but I agree with you. There was a sense of shame that I, that, you know, we, we get, we have to undo. And I like that you just said, Ooh, she's presenting with some of those things. Cause Maybe, maybe it won't happen. I hope, I hope it doesn't, but there, there is a tendency uh, that those are the traits that will lead you down that path. Yeah. Right. And I'm, I'm doing my very best to be like, okay, I want, we're going to, okay. You cracked that freaked her out. Can you make it worse? What? Crack it again. Yeah. And she is total Mm -hmm. extra freak out. I'm like, well, you got to lose. Okay. Like my favorite is when kids don't, and this, this is just tiny tangent, but when kids are afraid to play third octave notes. They're like, uh, oh. so when you fight the flute, you lose. <laughs> like, yeah. You're not going to get a note out. You have to let go. And so I teach them to go, <sighs> blow out a birthday candle, puff out your cheeks. It's going to look yeah. real ugly. Nobody cares what you look like. This is what I tell my kids. 
Nobody cares what you look like when they play when you play the flute. They're not looking at you. Flute is an ugly embouchure anyway. You go, yeah. it's gross, right? Nobody cares. Puff out your cheeks. You look extra fluty. What? Nobody cares. And I, if your band director says don't puff out your cheeks, tell him to take a hike. I mean, he doesn't know <laughs> how many band directors are flute players. Not many. Tell him to hush. You yeah. know, but mostly trumpet players who like struggle to make a sound. Okay, you can do this. Go. And then they freak out and like, okay, what's the worst thing that'll happen? The note won't come out. It's already not coming out. So let's just see if we can find an ugly way for it to come out. Whatever. And they go, and it came out just fine. I'm like, how yeah. hard was that? They went, that was so easy. Yeah. yeah. And all we got to do is rein it back a little bit. Let's find how that works. Just this, work it backwards. Yeah. It's this, it's this fun way to make it just an experiment. And then you learn so much about yourself. Because we, like you're saying, there's this, there was this expectation of you have to do it this certain way. And if you have a hyper-focused kid, ooh, that's hard. Like, oh, you can't sure. do that. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there's, there's stories of, of people who are well into their professional career. Um, for example, string players get, uh, get focal dystonia quite often in, in their, you know, fretting hand. Um, but there's a story of a professional who was playing fantastic and went and took a lesson with uh, a, a teacher and they were giving feedback about why do you raise your hand so high off, you know, uh, off when you play and then they became hyper fixed. And this person is a professional in an orchestra and then within weeks had hand dystonia, crippling hand dystonia. What's fascinating is, is listening to how people unlearn or retrain or rehabilitate. For example, on YouTube, there is um, uh, a gal who plays the piano that got hand dystonia and, and what's, I guess uh, what's most frustrating about the Sony is it's task specific. So I could whistle like a bird. I can blow out a bird candle all day long, but yeah, I go to play the flute. My, you know, my mm-hmm. comes up. Um, and so with her, when she would put her hand on the piano, it would, it would curl up. You see a lot of that. And so she kind of had a similar thing, kind of trick her body. Like what if I don't come at the piano like this anymore? What if I come up from the side? Mm-hmm. I'm over like this and very similar to with me and flute <clears throat> some some days when it's when it's extra weird um a couple things that will help so for example for me it, it it's it's the right side kicks in and what I'm learning more and more is my right side is overcompensating actually for an underengaged left side um and I've got a great analogy for it in a minute but sometimes what'll help is a new stimulation so if I'm playing and my right side is feeling the feeling Sometimes if I literally just lay my fingers on it, not even press enough to dimple the skin, but just the sensation of kind of tickling the hair that's there, the air around it, that works. Sometimes if I literally put the flute on my forehead or then put it on my cheek and then move it here, that unlocks it. What I don't know yet is, you know, all of these things won't work for every person, but they work for me and I'm finding commonalities in other people who've unlocked themselves. It's just different ways to stimulate yourself. Mm-hmm. Another um, another really great uh, teaching tool, and I got this from Keith Underwood um, this past summer because <clears throat> uh, I was sharing with him, you know, I'm working through this thing, and he has dealt with a lot of people with dystonia. And he said, you know, what's so fascinating uh, is, you know, you're on the right track, you focus on the air, and he has a really great exercise. I think it's great for everybody, so I'm just going to share it. And he does this thing where he has you bring a straw <clears throat> and a cup of water. And you blow into the cup and, and his thing is how slow can you blow and get a bubble, you know, a series of bubbles. So, I mean, it's just so, and like the smallest bubble that doesn't splash out of the cup. 
So, you know, you're blowing very slow. He goes, perfect. Now, now hum and do it. And the first thing, and I, everyone try this one later, but the first thing that'll happen is you'll hum and do it and the, the bubbles just explode in your eye. And he's like, the trick is, can you hum and blow and still get that soft bubble? And what happens is, is it forces, I hate the word force, it, it encourages. It requires. <laughs> it requires, there you go. It requires, your throat just opens, your air gets hotter. And if, and for me, if I apply that to flute, again, it's a perfect unlock day. Um, so if, I think for all of us in our arsenal of teaching tools, there are, there are a large group of people who are motivated and, and it is effective uh, to teach them the mechanical way to blow into the instrument or to hold it or how to do the fingers. That's great. That, that's great for them. But it doesn't work for everybody. And another uh, Nicole Esposito thing that she said to me is uh, she goes, you know, Mark, I get, I get all the time people make fun of how she holds her right hand. I mean, she holds her fingers literally like this. It looks, every textbook would say she's going to have shoulder pain and all of these things. But she's been playing a long time and she plays quite well and mm -hmm. approach. Um, and I love this is if it works and it doesn't hurt, do it. And I think about if, what would they have said to Dennis Boryakov if he had been in my flute choir circle about funny ambitions? I mean, <laughs> you can't get more off center out of like, what is that? How did he get there? I mean, but it sounds amazing. Um, and so I, I just think if we can change the way that we teach, uh, we'll have less people that get to this place. One, one real quick point to that is I've heard this uh, a lot of people, you know, kids, it's not with the Sonia, but you know, kids who have the, the teardrop for yeah. anybody who's playing, maybe flute players or, or band directors who teach flute kids. Don't worry about it. Don't make it an issue. It's a non-issue. I had a student with the biggest teardrop ever seen. It like bifurcated her entire aperture. Like, yeah. And she played center and it was like all the way down. It was huge. Like, think of your widow's yeah. peak up here. It was yeah. in her face. <laughs> it's like, Listen, you're preaching my story. I have a deep uh, um, teardrop. And what I would say is the, the air come out of this outer part of the lips. It comes from inside. Where the lips touch. Uh, you know, it's flat there. You know, it's, it's on the inside. Yeah. Also, another thing is, and so what if it's off center? Center means does the is the aperture center with the with the embouchure hole and if that's over here like Dennis or if it's over here like Ron Paul great just sound fantastic and you're doing the right thing exactly that's what I would tell her and she she ended up an all-state piccolo player and people that's are like great. how I'm like I don't know and they're like you know I'll tell them how big this this kid's you know the dish or teardrop was and they're like I don't believe you I'm like here's a picture and they all go how does she make a sound at all I'm like I don't know we never talked about it. I just said, this is the sound I want you to make. Try to do something like it. Let's hear what your version sounds like. And she got the sound. I said, I don't want it. I don't care what I want to sound like. I want you to find the sound that you like. Yeah. And then she just figured it out. If you make it a non-issue, your body figures it out. But that, that gets it. into teaching stuff, but you know. No, but I think that's great because it, it inspires curiosity. It removes shame. Uh, uh, and, and I think that's a really healthy way to learn. I wanted to provide to give people more insight in, um, in kind of what it feels like, just so you can kind of relate to people, or if you're hearing any of these symptoms from people, uh, maybe you can lean a little bit more. Uh, the most relatable thing, I watched my wife struggling with the uh, window blind in my daughter's room the other day. She has parakeets. <clears throat> and parakeets, I mean, it's like, it's, it's Dr. Doolittle in her room. 
anyway, but they've been uh, they've been landing on our blinds and kind of picking up the string a little bit. We've got heavy wooden blinds in there. And I kept hearing, ah, you know, I could hear, I think we all know what the sound of a blind going up and coming down sounds like. I could hear the struggle. And I was like, I need to go investigate. So I went up there and my wife is like, I'm so frustrated. And she's like, watch. And she pulled on the cord and the blind did one of these, you know, where like one yeah. side up. Uh, and I was like, huh. And I was like, how's that working for you? You know, just keep cranking it. And she's like, I'm gonna get it, damn it. And, and, and I was like, well, let it down. So she let it down and I looked and I was like, ah, here's the problem. So one of the little strings on the other side that the birds have been picking at, I mean, they've worn it to a layer. It's, it's a single thread. And so what was happening was when she was cranking on the big one, the left side was overcompensating for the right. It was coming up at an angle, et cetera. That, when I watched that happen, because uh, she's always curious about how I'm doing, that's the perfect analogy for what this feels like. Another one would be if, if the center of the aperture was the center of a trampoline, and you've got all the springs and hooks around it. For me, it, it would be like if you unhooked a series of the springs and still kept bouncing, something somewhere else is gonna pick up that load uh, and that's focal dystonia. Uh, and so it never works to crank on, on, on the blind. In fact, what ended up working was when she pulled it really slow, it allowed the spindly thread to engage and hold it. And I would say approaching dystonia, once you get to that place, you have to have that level of discipline and the patience to pull it and put it down, pull it and put it down. And, you know, again, I want to be honest, uh, the last three days have been much better. If we had had this conversation this past Sunday, I was, I mean, it was, it's mentally exhausting um, that sometimes success is just, can I take a breath in and just, boop. that sometimes has to be enough. And that's the equivalent of, can I just, pull on it just enough to to pull it up and down um and and so when you if you have a kid or a student or whatever that gets to that place encourage them that practice can be so much more and i think i was going there a minute ago but on the days where it's like it's just it's not connecting nothing feels better than you know put on your flashiest whoever playing and just finger along with it just daydream uh uh it's like faux flute faux lute you know it just Sometimes that's a great practice session. Sometimes just sitting and breathing while listening to another player play is enough. Uh, but damn it, there is a path out of dystonia. I'm telling you, it's real. Yeah. There's, there's so much I want to talk about, y'all. <laughs> I saw you open your mouth a bunch of times. So uh-huh. <laughs> You're going to have to cut this down. You're going to have to cut out like three hours. Like, just Absolutely not. Absolutely no. not. Uh-uh. This is gold, uh-uh. Mark. Uh-uh. Gold, you are going to help so many people with this. Please, if you are listening to this, write your comments wherever you see it. Please. Yes, please do. Please email us. Anyway, this is like right up our alley for real. Um, Yeah. So I have have like three different directions I want to go. Let's do it. it. Um, So I'll use one to get to the other. So bear with me. Um, what you're talking about here with what you're doing with your little games and whatnot, there's there's a couple different methodologies that that would come from, but it sounds to me more than the others, like um, a cross between original and modern Alexander technique, more so than something like Feldenkrais or um, dynamic uh, integration, that sort of stuff. But 
Um, if you go and look at Alexander's original writing, um, he is very much harsher than modern Alexander technique. Um, but a lot of what he was talking about was um, with his issue, which was vocal cord stuff um, with, he was working with a stutterer, um, a golfer and one other, I can't remember. Um, but he would talk about the moment of initiation of the problem activity is when the problem occurs. Yes. And the way that he got people around it was stop them right before they initiate. Mm. Do not do not pass go. And act like you're yeah, 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 yeah. I've got but you know, for him it was you have to convince yourself you're about to do the thing. Yes. But then stop. No, you're gonna stop. And stop right before or right when the problem happens and notice, is it happening or not? And mm -hmm. repeat until it stops. And then actually go to do it, but also still stop and notice, is it happening or not? That sort of, so when you're talking about this or when you're talking about, you know, well, maybe if I come at the piano from a different angle, yes. you're basically circumventing the, the initiation of the issue. Yes. Um, so I just wanted to mention that. <laughs> Yeah. Over here nerding out. Um, and since that's working for you so well, I'm not sure how well versed you are in Alexander, but I'm not. And that's where I'll, I'm going to be really honest, you know, as I've gotten to know myself better mm -hmm. um, and my level of OCD, and I'm going to immediately know all of it. I'm purpose, I'm almost purposely not um, reading too much. I want to get and kind of listen through hearing other people, but I know, okay. I know my tendencies. And mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll over concentrate to the point where I'll, I don't know, I'll, I'll land myself in a coma from, I, I don't know, stopping my own heart. I don't know. All I know is my mind is very powerful <laughs> mm -hmm. and I can conjure up um, things and, and it's still very fragile right now, you know, and I recognize yeah. that it's very fragile. I love what you said about that moment of initiation, because for me, it's either right, literally, I take a breath in and the set is <gasps> done. Mm -hmm. Right. It's either right there or it's perfect. And so sometimes I call it the, my air bounce game where it's literally just how's the air bouncing around on the inside of my mouth. When I sound my best, I can, my embouchure, instead of forming an embouchure that the air blows through, I almost feel like my air is pulling forming the embouchure. Yeah. And, um, and for me again, right. That's today's uh, analogy that works, but uh, if that's Alexander technique, then right on. He's, he, it's working. <laughs> that's, that's the original Alexander approach. Um, but then what you're talking about with your games, um, if you took that away from the flute. So, so modern Alexander technique would involve the flute with the games too, and other things. Don't get me wrong. They're not, it's not just the one thing. Um, but the games you're talking about are, are a little bit reminiscent of Feldenkrais and his book, he actually has little exercises written out in the back. <laughs> um, I've got, yeah. Nerds unite. <laughs> <laughs> I've got all the old ones. You've got the new ones. These are the ones I bought off eBay in grad school for like 99 cents. Are they marked up? You know, <laughs> you know what do we do here? Um, but that one I like because, um, if say you're having a bad day and the flute's just not happening, or if the flute is happening, but you're like, well, it was only 10 minutes and it's one of those days where it was good, but I, I wanna do something else to feel good, not to work yeah. on the flute, but to feel good. 
Um, I really like his exercises because they're just like, most of them are on the floor, um, you know, and it's, it's a game. It's literally straight up. Um, I like his eye ones where it's like, okay, well, you know, like, oh, let's see if I can do this on camera. If you're listening audio only, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but, you know, watch your hand go back and forth in front of your face and you're just kind of rotating and then look above your hand and see if you can keep your eyes as smooth as you trace or are they jumping? Huh. Yeah, stuff like that. Um, so I wanted to mention those because I'm nerdy about that. Oh, no, I love it. Um, <laughs> And, and I'll, I'll use uh, the, the I one. I'll have to do it off camera uh, before I do yeah. it. But I, I think you said something in there too that resonated um, loudly with me, which is it is so important to end the practice on a positive note because yes. uh, bringing that anxiety mm -hmm. uh, into the next, like if you end on a bad day, and I'm, I'm saying this out loud for me, like I, I need to remind myself. Yeah. You have to define winning as as more than a perfect performance, and and, and until you can get and it has your heart has to be there, and uh, and that's the hard one for me because there are days that it's like, again, we our 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 self is our playing, and there's nothing more personal than your sound, in my opinion, and that I don't know, it just feels like your sense of self is different. So um, there are days now where the fantasy of playing has to be the spiritual uplift that gets me through. And, and, and I would encourage anyone, you know, record yourself practice and, and hang on to the good ones. Cause there are days that, you know, you have five bad days in a row and I'm like, did I ever sound good? And then you listen and you're like, ah, it wasn't, it wasn't just a, you know, a, a phantom memory. It is in there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, Absolutely. that's really good. Actually. Like I, I know exactly what you're saying. Like when you, when you felt like your voice is stripped away, had yeah. that same thing when I had to give the flute back that I played my master's recital on, that I won my oh. orchestra job on. I left the National Guard and had to give it back. And I, I, I didn't leave for years. I should have left years, years before, but I didn't leave for years because it was my voice. It was my yeah. flute. And I, I couldn't part with my voice. And, yeah. you know, I finally did. And now I still don't have something that I can, I can reclaim. Like, it's just oh. not there. You know, it, it, it's like your sound. It's 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 not your identity, but it kind of is your identity because it totally it's, is. Mm -hmm. Another feeling. Oh yeah, like if 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 I, th I think Whitney Houston's "Star Spangled Banner" is like the the one of the top selling uh, singles of all time. Like <laughs> if she and I, I can say the same damn words, but definitely her sound uh, is what's the different thing. And I can do it with just the same amount of gusto, but I can't sing for anything. Uh, it's, it's, so important. it's so important yeah. yeah jen did you have another you had like three things was that the third oh one? i i i super i super do but i'll run it by you guys before i go down this rabbit hole because we're, we're gonna be there a while if we do <laughs> um <laughs> so you're talking about things like uh things that you've been learning and experiences with teachers um and i just i have so many notes that i would love to go through in terms of if you are a student going through this, how to, what to look for from your teachers. And if you're an instructor, the kinds of things like pitfalls or other things that you can do to kind of help. I absolutely um, think that that's time well spent. Okay. We're going to go down. Okay. <laughs> um, so what you were talking about originally with, well, that looks weird. Yeah. Let's start there. Um, 
it can be so tempting, right, to look for the shape. And we're talking about like the mechanical stuff, the method. Uh, mm -hmm. Even if there can be something gained by making it look right. If making it look right introduces more tension into the body, that's a problem. If you think about um, just, this, this is something that most people can do if you've got any ability to run whatsoever. You don't even have to run far. Um, and I, I give this one to my students um, all the time who are having any sort of hand problems or I can see it creeping in and I don't look for shape anymore. I look for tension and pressure. Um, okay, go run and run as hard as you can and, and go really, really fast and like put all this pressure on your, great. Now calm down and just, just, just go, just see, move your body, let your legs cycle, um, let them feel as loose and comfortable as possible. And all you're doing is catching yourself right before you fall, go. You're gonna run faster the second time than the first. And most of the time, I don't even have to send them outside to do it. They're just, oh. We can look to do things mechanically correctly. So if you're, camera's over here, okay. <laughs> if you're a clarinetist and your clarinet's here and your finger height is this high, yeah, I want you to get a little closer, but not, not um, in exchange for like, you go from a really relaxed movement to a really tense one to stay tight and should be relaxed first. Um, can, I, can I contribute to that just real quick? Yes, please. <laughs> okay. So I had a teacher who said this once and I was like, I, I have never done well with teachers who tell me things have to be a certain way. I've always done really well with teachers who are like, let's try this, try this, try that, you know, but I, cause I just kind of go, I don't have to do it a certain way. Screw you. Not happening. <laughs> but that's, you know, it's a difference in our personalities. Right. So I, I was teaching these kids once. The, the teacher said, your fingers should never leave the keys when you play, even if you're not pressing them down. I was like, what? The, the, huh? <laughs> you know, but my fingers were probably way up high. I turned this into a game. So what happened was um, I learned like how to keep my fingers down without really pressing because the game is, and we went around the room and I was like going to award a candy bar to the kid who could try to do it. And we made it into this game, right? Okay. You have to play a scale. I don't care how slow you play it but your fingers can't come off the keys. Can we do it? You know? And so like there were, and, and if a kid didn't want to do it, they didn't have to do it. But every week they're like, Oh, can I try? Can I try? You know? So we had like the whole, let's try it. And it was amazing. I'm like, guys, isn't it crazy? Like we think, Oh, I got it. I got it. And then suddenly it's like, well, my fingers way up here. And I thought it was touching. So it like helped when I was learning that what it, it wasn't about being perfect and touching the keys. It was Oh, now I'm aware of each finger. Yeah. Oh, they're way heavy. Oh, yeah. you know. So it's it yeah. takes like it's it's taking yeah. a game that can have a lot of judgment into making mm -hmm. it fun and about awareness. Mm -hmm. You know what's so interesting yeah. about that? As I was hearing you say that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so well intended. Here's how I would ruin that. Are you ready? <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah. literally, I was thinking about what it would require to keep my fingers there because that's just not where they would, ne they, exactly. no, I don't. And, and I don't want to think about how I, techniques never been an issue for me, but don't, if someone were to tell me that I, I can, I can feel it subconsciously, the tension that that would add to my fingers, mm -hmm. how, how to, how to get it to my wacky way of thinking about it would be more, what's the end result we're trying to achieve. So yep. we want to help you be a little bit more nimble um, mm -hmm. 
instrument. And, and, and probably what will happen is it'll result in my fingers coming down, but it's yeah. a, how can you get, and I'm not a flute teacher, you know what I mean? But uh, for yeah. the, do this professionally, it's how do you say the same thing two or three different ways that yes. up at the same final destination. Uh, yeah. But if, 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 if I had heard that, I know for sure I would achieve that result. Trust me. Right. But you can't expensive. use a lot of pressure. They'll push mm. down and then you won't be able to play the scale. So it's like yeah. learning how to play super light. Mm -hmm. Can you do it? If not, yeah, we can do it. But what we found is like, it's real hard to do the whole way. So we like, ah, let's just do a couple. Okay, fine. We're done. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's not like yeah. you got to do it. It was just like a fun, can we? Yeah. yeah. You want to hold it there? It's silly. Yeah. But, <laughs> That's how but, I took my teacher saying it has to be this way. And be like, bull, we're going to make a game. See how silly this is? That yeah. was <laughs> games and patience and defining the intention um, and removing the pressure. So we're not going to ask you to, the, that's a lot of ways to get around this stuff. So like what you're talking about, Angela, is in a, a group setting with younger children yeah. and my running thing, that's for older performers who have, um, usually they're, they're in performance prep. So it's like, I don't have the time for what I want to do to seat quickly enough. Um, because if we're going to do this from the ground up, what I'm going to have you do, and it's going to be really boring, which is why it's going to be practice. And it's going to be, we're going to use this amount of time on it. And then we're going to forget about it. Mm. It's going to be that. Um, and again, with clarinet, you know, it's how little pressure can you use with just that one finger to get it to seal and get the note to speak. And then yeah. coming up, yep. how... How close can you stay while using minimal pressure to get the note to actually sound in tune? You know, that is boring and it takes forever. Yeah, it does. But again, that's where we get into, which was one of my next points is separating practice and learning from performance. And so mm -hmm. often we're so busy getting people ready for performances or getting ourselves ready for performances. Um, I mean, that really, I mean, I know you started with problems in high school. I started with problems in high school. And it's because even that early on, you know, you're going to pursue this path, mm -hmm. you know? And so you're like, well, I'm expected to be in this orchestra and I want to be, you know, but I'm expected to do this competition. I'm expected to do that performance. I'm expected. And so you've got all of this stuff and the, I've had a couple students, um, clarinet wise, I was not successful in getting out of injury before it was too late. And that, that burns on my soul. Um, and unfortunately the few times that's happened, it's been because we didn't, either we didn't have enough time and that was either time together or time before a specific deadline. And let me tell you, if you miss your deadlines, um, you better have a strong soul, you know, because <laughs> I've seen what that does to these, these kids is like, well, I'm, I didn't make it in because I'm hurt. And well, I'm going to take a year off turns into I'm never playing again. Mm -hmm. um, but shoot, how did I get, oh, taking that time to go, this is an issue. Forget about the competition forget about like, you don't, you don't need that right now. If we could just collectively come to that conclusion, <laughs> you're, you're a high schooler. It's okay yeah. to not make state your first year, you know, <laughs> 
Um, if we could do that as, as teachers and educators, I think we'd have a much healthier population. Uh, I totally in, in agree. Community, you know, just give them the space to do that. Give them fun things to do. Give them performances, yes, but understand that the practice and the slow introduction and ingraining of this stuff is where the change is really going to be made. Um, and coming up with different ways to put it, different games, different techniques. If you're seeing it's not working, try something else. Mm -hmm. um, this is where I'm going to go down another rabbit hole. So again, yeah. I'm sorry, guys, bear with me. Just one thing to say sure. Sure, sure, sure. out loud is I think it, it's redefining what winning is for mm -hmm. the practice. And so it's not, you're going to play all of the, you know, the first movement of the Mozart and G from memory by the end of the practice, it might be today, we're going to get a really great staccato G and yeah. it's going to be so fantastic. And that's mm -hmm. fine. Uh, mm -hmm. And instead of the unrealistic expectations that we tend to go into with what's the yeah. next oh, I'm excited. Yeah. Um, so this is, this is kind of a, a, a twofer. We're talking about uh, different descriptors and versus the mechanical descriptors. This is where I'm going to start talking about some general generational stuff. Um, if you feel like I'm talking, like if you're listening to this podcast and you feel like I'm talking about you, I'm probably not. I'm talking about probably yeah. older than you. So Woosah. Um, <laughs> Woosah. Um, <laughs> but when we're, we're looking at the modern generation, we're so obsessed with um, absolute mechanical scientific fact. And there is nothing wrong with that. There's, there's a lot of benefit to understanding the specific mechanics of it. But there's sometimes a reason that pedagogically we teach using the language that we've received from previous generations. Um, and that's because when you get to like, walk down a flight of stairs, but do it mechanically correctly. You think about walking, if you think about how you're walking down a flight of stairs, you're gonna fall. You're gonna fall and you're gonna break, you know? <laughs> if you think about, well, if I wanna form the perfect flute embouchure, you know, like, I don't know, give me the technical names, if this muscle has to go here and this one has to go here and they're like, you're gonna hurt yourself and you're probably not gonna make a sound. It's gonna be bad, you know? <laughs> Versus if we think just relax and let the air flow and then tweak little things as we can. And if it's not working with this description, try that one. And like, I mean, how many different attempts did you have to take before you came up with blow on a butterfly's wing? Exactly. But I bet you it works. Yeah, like not just, not just for you. I bet yeah. you it would work for others, you know? <laughs> I I agree, and those and, and I think it's it's uh, uh, it depends on the learner. Like some people need the more mechanical. It's so fascinating because there's another gal who take less who took lessons from the same teacher growing up, and it apps. I mean, they absolutely jived, and she was super successful. Uh, it and it fueled her for success. Whereas for me, it derailed me. It um, this conversation makes me think about um, there was various studies done, but I was hearing about. Um, they were doing a dystonia type um, uh, study on folks throwing a ball. And so there were three groups of people and they were like, so in group one, uh, we want you to throw the ball, but we really want you to think about your fingers, how you're touching the ball, think about how you're letting go of the ball, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Group two, um, I really want you to focus on, so the muscles of your forearms are really, you know, I want you to practice with those muscles, yada, yada. Group three, I want you to throw the ball and hit that, um, hit that mark. 
And, you know, of course they studied them for a week, two weeks, whatever the time period is. And at the end of it, the most successful people were the ones that were just like, hey, throw the ball and hit the thing. And they just naturally came up with their way. We all have different ways of walking down the stairs. Probably 99% of it's the same, but some of us do a thing with our pinky toe that we don't even know that we do, but it just works. And playing an instrument is a natural, we are literally an air tube. Just, (laughs) and if we can get out of our way and keep it simple, you know, now I'm almost 40, I'm ready to hear that. But back then I would have rolled my eyes at who I am now, but it's, it, it's easier than we make it out to be. People who are really great at it, you know, aren't necessarily always the best teachers. They have a hard time articulating it. They're like, I don't know. I just breathe in and I breathe out and I get a sound. And it's so fascinating. Yeah. 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 I mean, teaching is, is its own discipline. And I think much like learning, it involves being okay with being wrong and sounding really bad a lot. (laughs) You know, like, for sure. You come to fruit lessons with me. We're making ugly noises on purpose all day long. It'll be a good time. I'll go first. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I mean, most of the time, if it's, if it's something that I haven't struggled through on my own yet, or if I know one of my students has a different learning style than I do, which is super fun for me, but you know, also kind of scary because I'm like, well, if I know how to teach you, because I know how your brain works easy, but if you think, okay, I like to be very honest about, okay, this is experimental. We're going to try it. If it doesn't work, we'll do something else. Or, you know, hey, you remember that thing I told you we were going to do? Either it's not working for you, so we're going to, or I was wrong. That's that's my bad, y'all. My bad. Let's, let's, I just found this. Let's do that, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But, I mean, if I were so afraid of being wrong with my student, that is a, that is an absolute disservice with them. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm not willing to go, I don't know, let's try something. <laughs> like, no, I, I don't have a textbook answer. So I can't, life is not. It's textbook. okay as a teacher to, to <laughs> give up on a thing and be like, I don't know how to fix it. I'll be honest. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We're just going to move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. or fix it you know what I mean like right. like I have um um there's the, the same the same perfectionistic kid I'm thinking about I play like this uh, super droopy like these muscles are so developed they show up in pictures and have to be airbrushed out look like a freaking bulldog <laughs> was told this and accurate so <laughs> you know but this amateur isn't right for everybody some people really kind of they they can make it sound like this I can't do it so when I'm trying to teach I'm like trying to go through the lens of what I know worth what versus what they do. And, and then it's mm-hmm. like, okay, if there gets to be a point where I can't explain it and you don't understand it, we've been down this path and trying to beat a dead horse at this point, I just be like, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I can count on one hand, the number of times I had a teacher say, I didn't know. And the army will tell you, oh, if you don't know, you make an, uh, either up an answer or say, I don't know, but I will find out. Mm-hmm. It's also okay to just say, I don't know. Your teachers yeah. are human and you don't have to yeah. be a superhero to this kid and try to force them into a, a certain way or like, right. you know, it's okay to just right. move on. Right. Oh, for sure. And something that yeah. you said there about, you know, the bulldog versus pulling back. I think it's important too, because the word tight, you know, don't be tight. Like what is tight? Like it's so different. I, we all have different mm-hmm physical attributes. I have dimple, my dimples pop out when I frown, like it is just in it <laughs> tight. That's very relaxed. 
Uh, so I remember, I remember her poking me on my cheek, like, I see your dimples, that's too tight. You know, it's like, ah, stop it. You know, yeah, dimples all the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let them make, yeah. let them make a beautiful sound, however they do it. Because uh, right, right is whatever works for them to get the desired result that doesn't hurt. Uh, and mm -hmm. that's natural. I think, I think we just need to redefine, again, winning. I wanted to, um, I wanted to share one more thing that uh, has worked so well for me, um, and I would encourage everyone to do it, uh, period, because I think we're all learning and growing and we can uh, go back. But when I started writing down the notes of how things felt, and it's kind of like, today was this, you know, I ate this, uh, um, and I literally call it my notebook. So we've all probably seen the Nicholas Sparks, uh, you know, rendition of the movie notebook, or if you've read it, et cetera. You know, for those that haven't, it's a story of a, a couple that love each other and uh, the wife has uh, clearly late stage dementia. And um, every day the husband reads them their story. And at the end of it, he hopes that he gets it. And my relationship with my flute, um, I would say is very much just like the notebook. And when, when, it, when it feels so hopeless, when, when she's been gone for a while and I'm worried, you know, will she ever come back? Because my flute's a she. But <laughs> I know that if I just remember bop it, ikataco, air tube, like I know it'll come back uh, because it, it, it does every single time. And, and when she comes back, it's a little bit longer and I learn a new thing. And so I would just encourage for anything, I think just in practicing in general, is write down what you've learned um, because that might help you get back to where you need to go again someday. Yeah. 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 I'm curious, actually, are there any resources that you have that as you've been on this journey that have really helped you that you'd like to share with other people, you know, oh, websites sure. or teachers or whoever, whatever? Sure. You know, uh, in modern, modern day, I had to catch up with uh, all the, all the things people have learned really fast. So Google is a great tool. Um, uh, you know, if you just type focal dystonia, embouchure focal dystonia, flute, embouchure focal dystonia, it's amazing, you know, mm -hmm. the 30 resources. Um, there's a Facebook group uh, for focal dystonia, musician focal dystonia. Um, that's been fantastic. Um, and there's experts out there. So um, one that I think uh, that you're um, potentially going to be working with on a Datari over overseas has been, I mean, this is her, her life mission has been, and I love it that there's someone that their full-time thing is, is figuring it out. And she had it. Um, and, and I focal the embouchure flute, embouchure focal dystonia, and has found a way through it. And so talking to more people that have not feeling like, like you have leprosy and not feeling like if I talk about it out loud, someone will mentally catch it. Um, and, and mostly not, not hearing anymore. Well, that's a death sentence. You might as well quit. All I need, all I need, I'm like uh, the guy from Dumb and Dumb. So you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> I just need to know that there's hope um, and my sense of competition and just perseverance I know I'll win I know it um, and it's so interesting um, because I, I visualize it's like I used to be very heavy so Angela can tell you that uh, uh, I literally lost 100 pounds and I literally did it because I was visualizing I'm going to run a race and I visualize the finish line. My wife's going to be here. My kids are going to be there. We're all going to cry. It's going to be, you know, just wonderful. And that vision is what got me on my treadmill every day. Now I see my audience. I know exactly where my mom's going to sit. 
and I know the program in my head and I, it's so clear in my mind's eye that I know it's going to happen. I hope it's sooner than later, uh, but damn it, it's going to happen uh, because every day is a little bit better than the day before. And you just keep putting those words out there. Like we, we had this, we had this, um, this episode with Mike Schwartz about using better words. And yeah. then, please go check that one out. It was uh, fantastic. What he said, because you, you say, I will, I, I am doing this. I will yes. do this. Yeah. It's going and, to and happen. We're, we're going to knock down. It's going to be all oh, focal dystonia. That's like a spring wrist. Ah, you just have to do one, two, three, and you're done. Yeah. So it's, I'm a hundred percent confident of it. I wrote down, um, I wrote down two things from uh, old journal entries that I was like, ooh, I should say those out loud. And it's just different mindsets. And one of these was on a great day and one of them was on a tough day. And it's just notes to self, you know, for future me, remember this. And one of them is, is remember every note is a gift. Don't take it. And then the other one is, is sometimes there's a whole symphony of achievement and a beautiful middle G. And so, uh, those little notes to myself carry me through. And sometimes I write them down and hang them up over my desk like this one. But um, whatever you got to do, practicing should be fun. Yes. End it yeah. feeling awesome. Yep. It's incremental improvements are big improvements. Uh, yeah. just, and just rem- and be kind to yourself. I am, I'm so mean to flute me. I would never treat anyone like I treat that person. Mm-hmm. I know I'm not the only one. And so I would just tell you, remember you love it. Remember that improvement's incremental and leave the practice room feeling good. And I think we won't have the problems that we have. Yeah. yeah and this, this 100% ties into Angela, our, our healthy habit series about sticking with, sticking with a fitness program, if you will, or finding something that works for like, there's so many people who are just, they, they start out thinking they want one thing or actually wanting one thing. And then, well, oh, I missed a day. And this is again, going back to um, Hillary also, you know, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. we've come across oh, this multiple times. And, uh, but this is, this is why we say it cross applies to music is like, man, you gotta, you gotta do things that feel good. Feel good. You know, yes. You've got to do at some point you got to do the stuff that's like not so fun like the the finger work that i was talking about yeah. or you know stuff that's not glamorous but when you understand that it's about feeling good and enjoying what you do and like you didn't get into this because you hate yourself <laughs> none of us did that right mm-hmm. um so then why are we so harsh um, and, and where are we getting that from? Are we getting that from our own expectations? Are we getting that from our surroundings? Um, are we getting that from either inherited from an instructor or our families? Um, there's, there's a lot of different ways that can come, you know, but it's not going to be sustainable if you're not coming at it from a positive place, um, being kind to yourself, forgiving, as Hillary says, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's okay that I missed a day of practice because I'll just do that day today. Or, you know what? I really don't like that movement. And if I do it today, I'm just going to not show up. So let's do this one and see. <laughs> yeah. And it goes along with what Rusty in Rusty's um, 
uh, episode, we titled yeah. it that life is a playground. Yes. yes. <laughs> because Absolutely. that was his analogy. And then yeah. it definitely cross applies. It cross applies to fitness. Yeah. It cross applies to every part of your life. So, mm-hmm. you know, going, going at this with this, this, this theory of, um, fun and experimentation, mm-hmm. let's see what happens. Yeah. What happens. Won't work. Yeah. Okay. We're not going to go that way. Or if I do this, that happens. You didn't know that before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't push your boundaries if you don't know where they are and you don't know how flexible they are. You, how do you know you have hard boundaries? Go shove on them. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Right. I think it's we so can, so the problem with this is that we can talk about teaching. All day long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had a couple other things, but quite frankly, we're, I'm not going to get into them. That's going to be another hour. We're not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I got a two-parter. Yeah, right. Yeah, actually, <laughs> has been so, so, so beneficial. And just and the way that you you laid out, like, I need to hear metaphors versus tactical language. This is what dystonia feels like to me. This is what you know, and all of that stuff that you just brought it together. I know that there are people out here listening to this going, oh, my gosh, that's me. It's me. It's me. Yeah, I know. Oh, OK, OK. So, you know, mm-hmm. and it, let's put this out there that if if this is you, you're not, as we said before, you're not less than. And there are resources, as Mark said. I mean, you go check out the, the um, Musicians Vocal Dysonia group. And we are going to be uh, interviewing Anna, I think, oh, next good. week. Yeah. You yeah, guys, it's, uh, it's going to be donkeys to resources. I mean, she is absolutely outstanding clinical expertise. You're going to be like, why do we waste our time with that guy? No. No, seriously, no. she is incredible. No. Uh, and I think she'll add so much color. Um, yeah. She'll color it in even more. You're going to love every minute of that. Yeah. Awesome. awesome. We really wanted to highlight this because we, as you said, it's just like you, it's not like leprosy. You don't catch it mentally from talking about it. And it's that we just got to take down the veil of this, of the stigma and what we don't understand. And by you sharing this, I feel like that I haven't heard any, anybody talking about this any, anywhere. So, well, or, or how about that? I'll say this, Angela, the professor that we shared, he has folklore. He has it. And his hand. It's the French horn professor had focal this embouchure focal. Just as oh, is that what it was? Dr. Labar. Yes. I thought he blew this out, like blew out the the everybody said he blew out his lips. I thought it was nerve damage. It's focal dystonia. It's it he blew out his nerve. It's focal dystonia. It's ever I'm telling you, <sighs> everyone knows two people that that, that yes. have it. And I bet you we had we know 10 more that have it and don't know it. Um, mm-hmm. and are just working against it. Mm-hmm. My luxury is that my career doesn't depend on my playing. And I think that gives me freedom of freedom to explore. And I, all the pressure I already have on myself is so high. I can't imagine the university professor, you know, fighting to get tenure that, that ha- also has that anxiety. I can't imagine the symphony player that this is their hundred percent livelihood. I can't imagine and what I wish is I wish I had more gimmicks and more tricks and more things that I could say and encourage people to pull them through. Um, but our body's instinct to protect us in times of fear, to pull our hands away from the snake is so strong um, that fighting it is only going to make it worse. So if there's anyone listening is feeling a feeling, get curious, don't panic. It's out there. And really amazing people have dystonia. I, I sent Angela a message recently uh, when Simone Biles got the twisties, the twisties, uh-huh. that's uh-huh. focal dystonia. There, yep. um, 
but he, but I'm so proud of her because she, unlike what I would have done, it's the Olympics. Let's just push through it. Let me literally destroy myself for this one moment. I'm so proud of the courage uh, mm -hmm. to say, no, I got to take care of me. There's so many more, uh, you know, performances after this. Um, baseball players who, uh, there's a great, I think I sent you a TikTok of the you, guy. You did. We're going to put that in the show notes. It's amazing. Yeah, that was fantastic. It's such a great example because I think people hear it and they're like, ah, oh, some weird flute situation. No, it no. is writer's cramp. That's focal dystonia where your hand literally snarls in on itself. It's, it is a task specific uh, uh, syndrome. Uh, and it's reversible and telling you it can work. Thank you guys so much for this time. Uh, I, I'm happy for whatever I could give you, but for me, this is part of my journey is, is I gotta just tell the truth with my situation because I think it frees me from some of the anxiety I have for myself that I'm hiding this. Yeah. I want the whole world to know it's a situation that we're bravely going to get through and, uh, and it's going to be awesome once we get through it. Yeah. I'm so proud thank of you for sharing that. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yes. you. Oh. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, the more, I mean, that's part of our mission here is just normalize talking about problems mm -hmm. and a, a focal dystonia is such a big one. It's mm -hmm. such a big one in our field. And I'm like, I remember how excited I was when I found out it wasn't a death sentence. I don't even have it. You know, like, yeah. So thank you for sharing because I know somebody's going to be listening to this going oh, at some point. That's awesome. We'll get one of those. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Mark, if anybody wants to reach a hold of you, where, where should they reach hold of you? If you want them to contact you, I should say. Oh my gosh. Uh, obviously Facebook for sure. I'm old school. So I, my daughter makes fun of me. She's like, you got to get to TikTok. So I, anyway, uh, or send me an email wallace.markandrew at gmail.com. Um, but again, I'm just, I'm just another guy out there. Um, um, I can give you my, my, my own series of experiences like we did today, but there are real experts um, that this is literally their full-time job. So I would encourage you to seek them out as well. Um, and I'm excited that you're going to have Anna on because I think she's just cream of the crop. Okay. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Well, yeah. thank you, Mark. It's been delightful. And the signing off. See you guys. Bye, everyone. Bye.